Uh, one of the biggest things is not daylight savings. It is pie day. It is 3.14. Please go get some pie afterwards. Um, but uh, before we fill ourselves with pie, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us um, as we worship. So um, if you guys want to grab some uh, lyric sheets, you can find them over there on the tables, hard copies. Or if you guys are trying to be more green or just don't want to have paper loose in your bag later, you can find the lyrics online at civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. Uh, those of you who are on Zoom, you should be able to click a little link that has all the lyric resources as well as speaker notes and messages. Um, but while you guys get seated and get ready, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, start worshiping.
Still waters, you restore righteousness. 
welcome Jeremy up for announcements. It is I, it is Jeremy, going to give you your announcements this morning. Um, welcome to Church in the Valley. Uh, thanks, Ben, for kicking us off with some worship this morning. Um, I wanted to let you guys know about some things going on uh, this morning in uh, church life, as well as some things coming up. And first of all, congratulations. You figured out the double quiz of not only does the time change, but the service time changed. So we tried to make it as tricky as possible, and you won. Um, so congratulations. Uh, again, my name is Jeremy, and um, if you're a guest with us this morning, um, thanks so much for taking time out of your Sunday to join us and check things out here. We hope it's a, a fun experience and you guys feel just comfortable getting to know people and um, getting to enjoy the time this morning. And just as a, a thank you and just letting you guys know where we were expecting you guys to be coming, uh, we have a book for you. It's a book called How Good is Good Enough? And they're over there on the guest resource table at the left side of me. And so you guys can grab a free copy of that for you or a family member if you like that. We'd love for you to be able to take that and enjoy that. Um, also on that same table, if you uh, would like a physical copy of the handout for notes, or if you have kids and you would like coloring things, or if you're an adult and you like coloring things, there's coloring things there as well, as well as uh, song lyrics on a physical sheet too. Or if you want a digital copy of that, you can go on to civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday, and you can have all those access to all those on your phone as well. There's also connection cards over there. And so if you would like to get a physical copy of that or get that online, if there are things you like to sign up for or things you like more information about um, or prayer requests that you have, feel free to either physically or digitally fill those out. And we would love to be able to pray with you about things going on in your life and uh, get you any information on things that you're signing up for as well. Um, a few announcements come up. Again, this Sunday is our first Sunday going forward of uh, starting service at 10 a.m., we had previously moved it to 9 a.m. a while back because it was hot and it was sunny, but now it is uh, cooler and less sunny, and so we're moving it back to 10 a.m., and that'll be the time kind of going forward until such time that we're either inside or we feel it's too hot that we're going to move it back to 9 a.m., so, but stay tuned. It'll be 10 a.m. for a while. Um, and then starting next week, for the next two weeks, we're going to be having our uh, membership renewal, and so you'll have an opportunity to be able, if you are a member or if you would like uh, to become a member, to um, do the process of that, either renewing your membership or getting more information about what it is uh, to become a member. We started last week uh, kind of a two-part series that will finish up next week of uh, what it really means to be the church, what it really means to be a member of a church and what that looks like. And so we hope that as you're processing that, as you're getting questions answered related to that, that'll really help you have a more well-informed uh, answer as to whether you want to, you know, join in and be a member of the church here at Church in the Valley. And so you'll have opportunities to fill out cards, uh, you know, expressing that uh, starting next week as well as the following week, so the 21st and 28th. Um, and then uh, next week on the 21st from 4.30 to 6 p.m. in the evening time, we're going to have the Lord's Supper out here uh, in the courtyard. And so if you have children between the ages of two years old to uh, sixth grade, there is child care provided for that. So you should be getting an email about that to sign up for the Lord's Supper, as well as if you would like child care. So go ahead and just mark that. Uh, fill out the email, and we would love to be able to provide that for you. Um, and if you're wondering, well, what, what's the Lord's Supper? What is it all about? Really, that is uh, an opportunity where people that have decided to really follow Jesus, to really 
um, make him uh, kind of the leader and boss of their life, that they get to come together uh, for a couple of things. One, they get to really come together to really remember and celebrate um, the fact that Jesus died for them and uh, gave his life for them. And they get to also really have some unhurried time that if they didn't get to do it at other points, uh, just to really make sure their relationship is really kind of right between them and God and them and other people. So we have some unhurried time for people to be able to um, do that, as well as also just to be able to celebrate the fact that one day we're going to be uh, feasting together in heaven with Jesus. And so just a time to be able to look forward and celebrate of uh, that time we'll get to do that, you know, forever. And so uh, that's going to be from 430 to 6 p.m. Uh, next week here in the courtyard. And so if you're going to come to that, just to make sure we have enough, you know, seats and and all that stuff for that, uh, feel free to go ahead and mark that in your connection card. And so we just can prepare uh, adequately for everyone coming for that. So again, thanks for joining us this Sunday. Let me pray. And then Victor and the team will keep lead us in worship. So uh, Father, thank you for, um, thank you for your kindness and just the way that uh, in the middle of all this, uh, as the last song said, um, you really do um, provide goodness and love and mercy. And God, even in the presence of our enemies, you really do set a banquet for us and, and take care of us. And thank you for being the good shepherd that you are. Thank you for providing for us and not only our needs, but way beyond that. Um, I pray that uh, we would continue to lean in to trusting you and learn to follow you and really making you known so that people can have an opportunity to do that too. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jeremy. If you guys would stand with us, we continue to sing God's goodness. Oh 
strength to know is the breath and the length 
seat. I'll welcome a brick. It's good to be back with you. Missed you last week when I was traveling. Actually, I didn't travel. Why didn't I travel? I got my second vaccination shot, so I wasn't able to travel. I, I, I didn't want to miss the appointment for that. I did miss the baptism. How, how many of you are uh, wet behind the ears from the baptism last week? Romana? Anybody else? Yeah. You know, there is an event after Easter in the uh, traditional Christian calendar called Whit Sunday or White Sunday. And it's there because in the early church, they would baptize on Easter Sunday. Um, and they would have the baptismal candidates facing the darkness and say, I renounce you darkness. Then turn to face where the sun's coming up and say, I receive you, Lord. And I commit my life to you. They would baptize them. The next Sunday is called Whit Sunday, White Sunday, they got to wear a white robe or a white shirt. So I'll be looking to see what you're wearing the Sunday after Easter, okay? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, let me invite you to, if you have a, access to a text, a Bible, uh, online or in person, to Psalm 73. We're in a series called uh, Psalm Appeal, and what that means is when the psalm lives within us, there is an attractiveness to life and to our lives because of the worship that's going on within. And I, I decided to title this message, The Blues of Worship. I like blues music. Anybody else a blues fan? Okay. And I'm on a, a track to try to understand the narrative arc between gospel music and jazz and blues and then rap and hip-hop. So I have no clue how the art goes. It may be a broken arc, but anyway, I uh, want to see how that goes. And some of it, I think, emerges out of this particular psalm. I also thought about Fiddler on the Roof. You remember the third song in that musical? If I was a rich man. And that's sort of like this song. This song should be sung to that tune, If I Was a Rich Man, because... Um, Tevia, when he sings that song, he's not a rich man. And there is an alternate translation. If I was a rich man, it goes, if I was a Rothschild. Uh, that kind of envy, that righteous indignation that gets set up in that. And so, in this psalm, there's a envy, jealousy, bitterness, being ticked off and upset and peeved, all of those, I guess I'll call them negative emotions. Have you ever come to church like that? I have. Um, if you have kids, if you're married, you're going to come to church just like that sometimes. Stuff blows up on the way to church. And you plaster a silly grin on your face, but inside you're seething. Ever been like that? It's, it's what this psalm is about. Explaining what happens when we show up to church like that way. Now, it seems to me that Psalm 73 
is sort of an echo of Psalm 37, if you just reverse those numbers. David wrote Psalm 37, and a guy named Asaph, now pronounce it correctly, it's not Asap, but Asaph. And I think between David and Asaph, they're sort of the blues brothers of the book of Psalms. And um, this is starting the third section of the book of Psalms. Sometimes they call it the third book of Psalms. And it's 12 songs in a row by this guy, Asaph. And, you know, we change worship leaders here um, on occasion. And, you know, Victor's up here and then others are up here. Hovey's up here, you know, leading. And that's sort of like it happened at worship in, in Jerusalem. And so we have these Psalms about that. Now, it's interesting that Jesus tells stories um, about anger and anger in the house, anger in worship. And there's one in Luke chapter 10 about two sisters and a brother. Now, it's interesting in this particular story, all three of them live together, but it's only about the two sisters. I think the brother was hiding in the closet because of what went down between these two sisters. Martha was like Martha Stewart. She was a wizard in the kitchen, but every wizard in the kitchen needs lots of help and assistance to pull off that great meal. Well, Jesus is coming to the house, maybe unexpectedly, so she's having to make do, Martha that is. And so she's banging the pots in the kitchen, and Mary, her sister, her assistant, her sous chef, is not there. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. <clears throat> now, in our culture, we, the way to understand G her sitting at Jesus' feet is it means she's admitted to the school of Jesus. She's not merely even an auditor. She's better than that. She's a student, a registered student. She's there by Jesus' permission. And I think Mary, all her life, wanted to get into that school. And so she's hearing through her right ear, Martha banging in the kitchen, you know, the, the pots on the stove, the stuff is heating up. And frankly, because she's not in the kitchen, Martha's healing, heating up too. Well, Martha boils over in the kitchen, comes storming out and says to Jesus, don't you care? that I'm working like crazy in the kitchen and Mary's just sitting here at your feet? And Mary's silent and Jesus puts her straight. You can see how the story turns out. Luke 10, 38. But my point here is that it's not unexpected that you would be boiling when you're at church, okay? You may be mad. Uh, who knows what happened? You had a flat tire when you came out this morning. Somebody cut you off in traffic. You know, you thought this, this clothing was ready and it's not ready. You found a new hole in your sock. You looked at the stock market and your stocks are down. You know, whatever. We come to church just like we are. And God makes a way for us. So I'm glad you're here today at CIV. you have glad that you've come to sit and let the Lord minister to you. So verse 1 is sort of the baseline of biblical truth. So we're going to get the baseline straight. And it reads this way. God is indeed good to Israel, 
to the pure in heart. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. Is that idealism or realism in your life? Is it ideal or is it real? Well, it's about to get real. Look at verse 2. Here's the source of the disrupted worship experience that Asaph experiences. Now, I love it when song, songwriters get real. Um, but as for me, my feet has almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I envied the arrogant. Do you envy somebody? Are you jealous of somebody? You remember a fellow in Shakespeare talks about the green-eyed monster of jealousy. Are you experiencing jealousy? It's very easy to fall into that. For I envied the arrogant. I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know, in this economic downturn because of COVID, have you noticed some people are getting wealthier? Some people are just falling off and businesses are shutting down, but others seem to be prospering during this difficult time. I think it might be easy to envy those kind of people. Aristotle, long, long time ago, he, he, he was looking at this notion amongst the Greek culture about righteous indignation. And Aristotle is always good for a quote and a definition. So his definition goes like this. As the mean between envy and spite. Now, not the mean, like mean people suck, not that kind. But the mathematical mean uh, between envy and spite. Righteous indignation is distressed at instances of undeserved good fortune. So if you have righteous indignation, that's what you're suffering with this morning. You've got something in common with Asaph. And the sort of understanding of what it is, is you're distressed because someone you're looking at, thinking about, seems to have undeserved merit or good, good experience, and you're not having that, and you deserve it. What's the deal? Verse 4. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Now, in this passage, Jesus is also, excuse me, the, the scripture is going to talk about meekness. You know, the, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. And it comes from these, these songs, these psalms that are in the text. And let me just say this, that meekness, meekness refuses to feast on fleeting emotions. The problem with living on your emotions is your emotions are not reliable. And if you put the emotions at the front of the train of your life, you're going to have a wreck. Meekness waits and not hates. Meekness waits on God instead of hating the one you envy. The meek will inherit what gets cut off because of the wicked. Now, those are themes. We'll come to those in just a minute. So, here's the false assumption that a wealthy, arrogant person has. They think God's in a coma. God's not watching. He's not able to watch. They think God is in a coma. 
Uh, look at verse 11. The wicked say, how can God know? They've forgotten that one of the attributes of God is omniscience. He knows. Um, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? And if you're listening to that person, it's easy to be motivated because you think you can get away with it without being caught. Um, and uh, then what happens to us watching that, and we're struck with this righteous indignation, um, here's the false bargain that envious unbelievers make. So if, we're, if I'm suffering with righteous indignation, it may be because I've made a bargain or tried to bargain with God. Now, I, I still remember flying on a plane. I was, you know how sometimes the planes are just boring. And so I was rifling through this magazine that was in the back of the seat in front of me. And right in the middle was this advertisement for a, a seminar. And he had in bold print, you don't get what you deserve in life. You get what you negotiate. Anybody seen that ad? You don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. I love that. Um, and I, as a supervisor, you know, had annual performance reviews uh, with about 25 wonderfully educated people, very smart. And I divided them up into three groups. One, you know, the average group, you know, they would talk to you in, you know, in terms of their performance review and all of that kind of stuff and what they were looking for. It was, you know, you know reasonably pleasant face-to-face. And then there was another group who had no clue about negotiating anything. And I realized I'm going to have to negotiate for them against myself because they just, they don't know how it works. And then there was a small group, like four or five. Uh, I locked all the drawers when they came in. I geared up and tightened my belt because those guys were better negotiators than I was. And they would steal the house and almost make me happy about it. They were that good at negotiating. And apparently, there were some people around Aesop who were the same way. Now, Jesus tells a story about negotiating. It's in a parable. It's in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. I won't read that whole passage to you. I'll just tell you how it went down. Have you ever hired a day worker? You know, they're the, the guys or the gals. Usually it's, I've never seen gals doing it, but guys, they'll be waiting on the corner. They don't have a job. They're just trying to pick up a day's work. You know, I've hired many, many times day workers. And so it's time to uh, harvest the vineyard. And so the vineyard owner needs workers to harvest it now. You got to get that out just in time. And so at dawn, he goes and gets a bunch of workers, and they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not going with you until we negotiate what the pay is. And so there's dialogue there, there's negotiation, and they got it down to a specific fee. Everybody's reasonably happy, it's a deal. You work from sunup to sundown, you get this pay, good pay. So they go out and go to work. Well, about nine o'clock, the vineyard owner is looking and it's not going to get done before dark. I need more help. We need more workers. Goes back, 
uh, to the location. There's some people there. He hires those people. And, but here's the phrase. They didn't want to negotiate. He just says to them, at the end of the day, I'll give you what's right. At the end of the day, I'll give you what's right. Well, everybody's harvesting. Comes to noon. Need more workers. Hires them. No negotiation. He just says, I'll pay you what's right. But then one hour before sundown, you just got to get this last part of the field done, this last part of the vineyard, hires some more people. And uh, they go to work, and they're there for an hour at, the, at sundown. When you hire day workers, you pay them that day. So pay time. Well, he starts with the ones that were hired last, only worked an hour. He pays them. The amount he paid them was exactly the same as what the guys at dawn had negotiated. And so as you know, it's paid out, when it gets to those guys that came first to work, they're mad. They said, you gave them what you agreed to pay us. So now we expect more. And <laughs> then the, the owner says, wait a minute. When we started this morning, you negotiated hard with me on what you would work. You worked all day. What did you ask for? Here it is. What complaint do you have, really? The lesson in this is, if you trust God, don't negotiate. If you're desperate for life, don't negotiate. You know, I mean, who puts their hand on the surgeon's wrist just as he's about to save your life to negotiate? It doesn't make sense. And so if my attitude is one of negotiation, a bargaining with God, and that's what happens, that's at the root of this. This is when the real heart gets revealed. So look with me for a minute. Um, it says, verse 12, Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. And then here it comes, verse 13. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? In other words, if there's a peace in us, if you're at church today for what you can get out of God for being here, you're not going to leave happy. If you're here as a way of making a bargain with God, it's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. But there are a lot of people like that. I remember this man coming up to a great preacher, you know, a century ago, D.L. Moody, and he just asked him a question. He said, you know, I've been praying about something for a number of years, and there's no answer, no answer. I've been coming to church, I've been teaching, I've been doing these things at the church, and there's no answer. And Moody says back to him, here's the problem. You think God gives you what he gives you because how good you've been. That's not why God gives you what he gives you. You have misunderstood 
spiritual things. And it's really hard to change systems in your thinking to get on a kingdom way of, a grace way of thinking. But that's got to happen. Um, in the first 15 stanzas of this song, there's a conflict going on between the spirit and the flesh. The spirit and the flesh. And that's the source of that, that anger, that frustration. In the second half, we move from conflict to conquest. The spirit over the flesh. Here's what happens when you and I come to worship and we meet God. When I tried to understand all this, verse 16, when I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless. It seemed hopeless. I do think a lot of people come to church and they leave in really the same condition in which they came. But other people, they come dragging themselves in, but just begging. And when they leave, they're a different person. Something's happened. They've met somebody. They've seen something. They've heard something. You know, Jesus tells that story of the Pharisee and, and the other God. It came to synagogue, and uh, the Pharisee pushes his way up to the front seat and gets seated right there, and he spends the whole time in worship telling God how good he is and why he deserves everything God should give him. And, uh, you know, he basically left worship that day wrinkled. <laughs> you know, his clothes are wrinkled. But the other guy sitting way at the back, he, he couldn't get anything out for a while. And finally got something out. God be merciful to me, a sinner. I have nothing. I shouldn't even be here. I don't deserve to be here. But I am here. Have mercy. Heaven came down on that guy. And he left. Reborn. Newborn. That's why we come to church. That's why we come to worship. To meet God. So look what it says. I tried to understand it. It was hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Um, if you keep heading in that direction, you're going to reach that destiny. Then I understood. And... Uh, I like um, some of the descriptive material in it. Says I, I, I realize now I was kind of like an animal uh, because I didn't get it. Worship clarifies which ground is sound and which ground is slippery. The way you're living right now, does it feel slippery? It's hard to keep your balance. It's hard to keep your place. It's hard to keep from slapping. Slopping down? Or are you walking on sound ground? That's the problem here. The way the worshiper, Asaph, was living, it's slippery. It's slippery. I mean, I, honestly, I like watching those YouTube videos where people come out in the freezing and they slip and slide all over. But if that's you, that's not really good. You know, when those cars, you know, are sliding down the hills, you know, and the brakes don't work because it's slippery. I like watching that, but I'm glad I'm not in that car or that truck, what have you. Um, and if our brain is wired wrongly, we're 
we're going at life in a slippery zone. And God wants us to be in a sound place, a sound zone. So worship, being here today, really worshiping, listening, looking, asking for guidance, asking for guidance. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors, like one waking from a dream. Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. One of the wealthiest Americans ever was named John D. Rockefeller. In fact, it was a, a saying. Who are you, a Rockefeller? Who do you think you are, a Rockefeller? You know, just um, in his day, he was worth $638 million. You know, he would have made Bezos seem like a piker today. He almost, he almost had a monopoly on the globe for oil production. Can you imagine that? Um, but he was 50. By the way, he went to a church like this. 50, he had lost all hair on his head. He had lost his eyebrows. There was something going on inside him that he was falling apart. He was down to crackers and water. That's all he could keep in his system. And the doctor spoke to him, Rockefeller, you got to make a change. The life he'd been living to that point was all about getting. He thought about that and he thought about the Lord. And I don't know where it happened. It might have happened at, at worship on Riverside Drive Church that uh, came about because of his giving. He shifted from getting to giving. Now, I'm not saying, you know, all of a sudden he walked on water and became a saint. You know, if you've read anything about him. That's a big change. But he set up the Rockefeller Foundation and began giving. It's amazing. The University of Chicago, it's because of his giving. Um, his giving. Uh, and maybe that's what this psalm is about. That in this place right now, because you meet Jesus and you start listening to him and quit negotiating, quit bargaining. You can have a new life. You can have a new way. Um, instead of bitter boiling inside, worship, real worship, seeing the living God and how much he loves us and cares for, how holy, how just, how fair he is, he's not in a coma, quite the opposite. Worship really cools us as we perceive three truths. Now this morning when I was going over this, I was like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's really five of them. So I just want to name these five truths to you. God's presence, God's patience, God's affection and love for us in Christ. And the other two are guidance and glory. When I became embittered and my inmost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was stupid. I didn't understand. I, I was an unthinking animal toward you. You know, there, there are things that animals are conscious of, but there's a lot of things animals are not conscious of. And a conscious of God's presence is unique to us. Um, yet, I am always with you, and you hold my right hand. 
You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you'll take me up in glory. Verse 23, I'm always with you. God is present. God's here now. He's, now, he's here now for you and with you. God's presence changes everything. God shows up. He's a show-up God. You can count on him. He's present. He's patient. Um, even while Asaph was bitter and angry and envious and jealous, God's present and God is patient. God is so patient. Why is that? Because he loves us. Um, you know, I, uh, the people in your life that you really love, do you, do you really love them because they're perfect and they're saintly? Not really. You know, your kids that you just are desperate for and love, don't they, don't they let you down? Aren't they selfish and, and all that stuff? But you still love them anyway. Well, that's how God loves us. He doesn't love you because you're perfect. He loves you because he loves you. He takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in me. Even in our stupidity, he loves us. He's patient. And then I love this part where it says, you hold my right hand. You hold my right hand. God's affectionate. He reaches out and grabs you, takes you. Now, some of you big accomplished men, you know, you want to have maybe that idea of having God take your hand. You remember when Jesus said, except you become like a little child, you're not even going to see the kingdom? You need God's right hand. I need God's right hand. You know, little kids, to somebody they trust and love, they will come up to them, and they, don't, they won't even say anything. They'll just go like this. And you know what to do, right? It's time to pick them up. That's what they want. And, you know, in this psalm, embittered and maybe clenched fist, and all of a sudden you feel something go into your hand and hold it. God's got you covered. God cares for you. He grabs you by the hand. And... Uh, if, you've got, if God has got your right hand, you don't need to worry about anything. If God has got you by the hand, you don't need to worry. I remember um, we were at the, at the beach, um, I think it was Goat's Head Beach up in northern, northern California, and I was climbing this, um, this giant rock peak that's right where the water breaks, and get to the top of that and and I forgotten my son my two-year-old son was with me and my wife and you know she was looking one way and I wasn't looking the right way and he was crawling up behind me this is really steep and all of a sudden I looked as he started to scream because he was slipping and I just reached out and grabbed him by the the wrist I didn't go for the hand I thought it would have crushed his hand but I grabbed him right here and just held him up. That's how God grabs onto us. Um, he won't let us slip. Because he's affectionate. He loves us. He loves that contact with us. 
And then the last two, not the least, guidance and glory. Uh, so if you're looking at it, uh, it says, you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you take me up in glory. Um, one of the reasons I, I watch YouTube, I'm, I'm looking, I'm researching some things from my church history class. And I was doing some research on this group that came down from Czechoslovakia, Bohemia, in the 16th century, 17th century, called the Moravians. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They still exist, uh, a Christian community, a uh, very mission-minded, mission-sending community, led by a guy named Count Nicholas Ludwig Zinzendorf. What a great name. And at some point, they decide to start a prayer meeting. And so everybody signed up one hour, you know, 24 hour, 24 seven prayer meeting. And you know, if, if, if CIV was gonna start a prayer meeting like that, you're gonna say, okay, uh, we're, we're starting a new adventure or whatever. Why don't we just bathe that thing in prayer and we'll pass out it. We'll have a sheet up here or have an online sheet for you guys in Zoom land. And you can sign up for an hour and we'll count on you for that hour. Well, they started this thing, and you know how long it lasts? A hundred years. It's like it's, it became part of the DNA of, the, of their fellowship, the worship. Now, that was enough for me. That, that really, really humbled me. You know, I'd be lucky to pray for a hundred minutes, a hundred years. But it's what they prayed for that really broke me. Um, in a class... Uh, a doctoral seminar I'm leading, one of the elements of it has to do with providence and prayer. And so we were looking at, I, I drew a prayer circle and the elements of prayer from, you know, praise to petition, intercession, confession, all of those elements. I, I left out the thing that the Moravians prayed for for a hundred years. That really makes me feel stupid. But at least in my absence uh, I heard what was what the point was the point was guidance they weren't asking for stuff they weren't praying for the sick although I'm sure some of that was in there what they were really praying for is guidance God's guidance you know if God was guiding your life what difference would it make if you were under that kind of leadership and management imagine what your life would be like it does say in Daniel eleven thirty two, they that know the Lord their God shall go on adventures. I think if God was my guide, and I was praying for guidance, Lord, what do you want? What do you want today? What do you want tonight? Guide me, direct me, lead me. Pull me by that right hand you've grabbed onto. What a difference that would make in this world and for eternity. Now, God guides us ultimately to one place, glory. He guides us to his presence. And what we mean by glory is there's a time when we'll get to see God as he is perfectly. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Then face to face. With all his glory, all his attributes of goodness, greatness, omniscience, omnipotence. We get to see him in the fullness of his glory because we get to be with him. Um, 
There's no need for a sun even because God brings the light. There's not even a shadow when you go around the corner. It's that kind and quality of light. He leads us in glory. So presence, patience, affectionate, uh, guidance, and glory. Um, finally, worship restores a biblical worldview. You're seeing it as God sees it. And it emboldens witness. You know, Jeremy, I think you have the gift of announcements. And I looked it up in the Bible. I'm not sure it's a spiritual gift, but it's a great gift. So thank you for those announcements. And at the end of yours, you kind of snuck this in about witness and sharing the gospel. I love that. Um, worship restores a biblical worldview and emboldens witness. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. Those that won't have anything to do with God, God won't have anything to do with them. But as for me, God's presence is my good. You know what's good about your life? You know what's good about my life? God's presence. Um, right now, the water pipes in our house are broken. We're living on one hour a day of water. But you know what's good about my life? God's presence, not my hot water. Um, as for me, God's presence is my good. He doesn't need to be worried about those, those people who are getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. So I can tell about all you do. If you and I will pray for God's guidance... And make his presence our goodness, the good in our lives. Amazing stories will emerge to tell others about. Tell the difference that Christ makes in your life. People will come to you and say, what is going on? You have something going on in your life that's not going on in my life. How did you get it and what is it? That's the way of witness. There's a light in you. I see it. It's on. I don't have that in my life. I'd like to have it in my life. How can I get it? Telling people just naturally how supernaturally God is at work in your life by his grace through Jesus Christ and faith in him. Um, when I get uh, ready to come over to CIV, um, I look at a couple of music videos, and there was one this morning, and uh, this guy was singing about knowing, understanding God's love for us in Christ's death for us. You know, and uh, next week we're going to talk at Psalm 22, which when Jesus was on the cross, one of the seven sayings, he, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how Psalm 22 Starts out. So we're going to look at that. But this song this morning was looking at if God was willing to send his son to die for you while you were just living for yourself, then now that you have given your life to Christ, how much more will God pour his life into you? Have you made that transition, that transaction in your life? These guys that we're baptized, have said, that's happened for me. I'm trusting 
that what Christ did on that cross 2,000 years ago stands good for my stead for eternity. And the evidence of Jesus being raised from the dead is, is God saying, I'm in charge of history. I'm in charge of this planet. I'll make things right, starting with raising my son from the dead. Proving to us, if you will trust Christ, if you will trust Christ, you're in good standing because God is at work in him, in you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for these moments of worship. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit has spoken into hearts, this, whether they're here virtually by Zoom or present, that we've had an experience in your sanctuary, in your very presence. We've heard your word You've guided us, and you've guided us to your son, Christ. Uh, may you give us the heart to surrender to him, finding forgiveness and renewal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, Rick. We're going to continue to take some time to reflect and to meditate and to think. Um, so if you guys still need to fill out your connection cards or want to take some time to pray and reflect, um, take some time now to, to go ahead and complete that. He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give with a grateful heart. Give to the Holy
to gain anything from our God, just to know Him and to worship Him. So give thanks.
great is the Lord our God. Praise Him forever. God's presence with us.